from Fox 8 Sports. You're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. From a socially distanced area apart, welcome into the Fox 8 Overtime podcast alongside Sean Fazan and John Bennett producing from his home. I am Chris Hagan at my home, and today we are going to talk Alvin Kamara, uh, him being the next big ticket item on the Saints to-do list and his potential contract extension. We'll also talk a little bit about some of the ramifications of no spring football and you know, some limited college football schedules. But before we get to all of that, a quick request and reminder, please subscribe to the podcast. Rate and review it. Tell your friends. Help us spread the word. And if you want to get in touch with us, hit us up. You know the drill. Final play app, Tiger Huddle app. We love your questions, especially right now. And we can use the content. Sean Fazan, let's get to it. Alvin Kamara has been a guy we've had circled in the, the to-do list for a long time, but you know because of everything with Drew Brees deciding to come back and Taysom Hill getting um, tendered as a restricted free agent, it's kind of fallen on the back burner, but I think it's here now. They've signed the guys that they want to. They've brought in the outside guys that they want to, but Kamara, as a guy who's been featured in this offense, has to be, uh, I think, the next item. I think so, and if you look at the timing of that 2017 draft class, certainly he feels like he should be the first one up just in terms of, all right, it's, it's probably a good idea to get, get out in front of some of these extensions, but he's also the one that I think is, I don't know if I want to use the word polarizing, but the one where you can make a strong case on either side, I think. Mm-hmm. In Alvin Kamara's case, going to be uh, 25 years old when the season starts, the position where you get, get paid when you can versus the Saints. Uh, looking at Kamara coming off an injury play season, wasn't quite as productive as he has been in years past. Again, the running back market isn't worth it. We've seen teams live and die by that. Um, so I think it's one of the more intriguing discussions, and I think it all boils down to numbers. I really do. Um, and I'd be very curious to know what Alvin Kamara has in mind. Obviously, any player wants to get paid the highest he can at a respective position. But there has to be a certain level of realistic, um, I guess, realistic view of where your place is. If this was right at this rookie year, he's at, I mean, every, the, the, the line is skewing more towards him. But he's had, a, you know, last year was a tough year for him. So I think it all boils down to numbers. Uh, and you start looking at some of the numbers. You know, I, I got the average salaries right here. I got Zeke uh, at 15 mil a season, Le'Veon Bell at 13 mil a season, David Johnson at 13 mil a season. Derek Henry signed that franchise tag, so it's a 10.2. Kenyon Drake at 8.8, Melvin Gordon at 8. I've always said, just looking at the numbers and looking at the way the Saints use Kamara, um, somewhere settling in between 10 and 11 million is probably a fair number for Kamara's skill set. Um, but who knows what he wants and who knows what the Saints want. It, generally, they start wide apart and then they inch closer and closer. There's no real deadline here. The only quote-unquote deadline would be as if Kamara wouldn't start training camp. And, you know, who knows? If, uh, if, if that's on his mind right now or not. And I think the interesting thing you mentioned with some of those names that you talked about is the David Johnson, the Todd Gurley, um, Ezekiel Elliott, their production versus Camaras. I think you've, you've got the case for Camara. Um, even being injured a good part of the 2019 season and his productivity being down, I think his usage and you know his involvement in the Saints offense warrants him being paid um, 10 to 15 million, like some of those guys, but some of those same names on the other side of that, they are the reason why maybe you don't want to pay uh, Kamara that much money because especially Todd Gurley and David Johnson, those are guys that got paid. And we saw what happens when 
you pay a running back that much money and he's hurt and it just weighs down your salary cap to a point where the team um, can't be successful with it or thinks they can't be successful with it. That's how you end up seeing Todd Gurley released by the Rams. That's how you end up seeing a $13 million back like David Johnson traded by the Cardinals just because they didn't want to have to to keep paying a running back that much money. So that's where it becomes interesting with Kamara um, because I, I, I would never want to use the word replaceable. I think he's a, he's, a, he's really a one of a kind back as elusive mm-hmm. is incredible, but in, in certain offenses and the way, you know, you use guys, you could make the case for drafting a running back in the second or third round, similar to where they got Kamara and plugging him in and maybe not having the same type of explosive plays, but still making good use for him for a much better um, value in terms of money. It's an interesting point because I think we learned when they, when they moved away from Darren Sproles, that gap between Darren Sproles and Kamara, that's, and this offense specifically, that type of back is not as easy to find as they thought because they, they thought it was going to be C.J. Spiller. They thought it was going to be Traveris Cadet. Um, none of those guys worked out or they, the pass catching back, and none of those guys worked out. It really wasn't until Alvin Kamara, and you saw the dynamic nature that he brings, the versatility that he brings because when he lines up, in the slot receiver, you have to guard every single route. It's not like putting Latavius Murray out there, who's only going to run two routes. I mean, with Alvin Kamara, he can run those routes. But at the same time, production-wise, his numbers are never going to match up like Ezekiel Elliott or Le'Veon Bell or, uh, or Derrick Henry type, where the offense runs through those guys. So that's why I think there's a fair number there that has a realistic um, – there's a realism of what Alvin Kamara truly is this offense. It's not run through him, but he's not as replaced as easily replaceable as uh, some may think. So um, hopefully there's a, a, a mutual understanding in that. And that, that sets the parameters, which generally leads to a cordial uh, negotiation. Now, Alvin Kamara is not one to, uh, he's going to do things his way. I mean, he's that, that he's an, he is an individual like that. He's going to do things his way. That's not a knock on him. That's just, that's just his personality. Um, so I'd be very curious to see where it lands. And, you know, the wear and tear on some of those other guys, I looked at Ezekiel Elliott's numbers. He averages 300 season. I mean, I think uh, Kamara had – let me see, I got it right here. Kamara had uh, 100 and – this number here. It's around 180 a couple of years ago. Yeah, 180 is his highest. And yeah. 81 catches – in each of his three seasons. So it's more about touches. So you could say he's got more tread on the tire. He's worth giving a longer term contract because theoretically that style could last longer. And if you look at Darren Sproles, it has lasted longer. Yeah. Look how long his career lasted. Yeah. So I do think there's more, there are some reasons to say, you know what, we, we can't necessarily just find another Camaro out there. Um, we know what his, we, you know, we know what he can do. We know how valuable he is to this offense. And when he's not in and not the explosive player, um, our offense is not quite as good. Um, so perhaps that is the reason to pay him. But, again, if he wants to be the highest-paid running back in the league, it's just not going to happen. Because you, you, you're, you're never going to get 300 carries, and the offense is never going to run through Kamara, as long as Drew's here. Yeah, I think I think uh, Kamara is durable. I know he had the injury last year, but um, that wasn't as much of a contact injury as it was just, you know, turning an ankle. Um, he's taken a lot of – of you know hits sometimes it's like flipped him over and he's bounced right back up he also does a really good job of avoiding some of those big hits slipping out of bounds um just wiggling his way down and and um being more durable than some of the other backs and I think the Saints use him in a way that's not necessarily between the tackles as much that's why 
They brought in Latavius Murray to do the hard running after Mark Ingram did a lot of that angry running too. So I think in that regard, I'm not worried about him from a durability standpoint. From the safety valve standpoint of, you know, if we're thinking long-term contract and we're thinking past Drew Brees and you see what Alvin Kamara does as a guy that simply a check down back that can all of a sudden mm-hmm. up seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, maybe even more yards. Um, so I think he's, he's excellent in that regard. And that would be great for a Taysom Hill or, you know, whoever is the next quarterback. But the interesting, another interesting aspect of this is what we talked a lot about with Drew Brees is the Saints could never let Drew Brees go like the Patriots did Tom Brady. If Drew Brees said he wanted to come back, it had to be New Orleans. Like we've always talked about just from a PR standpoint, from an image standpoint, from an optics standpoint, Brees and New Orleans go hand in hand. I'm not sure if it's the same with Kamara. And that's, I don't think that's a knock on anybody, but um, it's, it's not the same feel. And obviously Kamara is embraced and loved and one of, and probably the second most popular player on this team. Um, one of the most popular players in the league, but I don't think that would be a tool in Kamara's back pocket, the, the optics standpoint, like it would be for Breeze. So um, it'll be interesting to see the Saints thought process on that. And um, like you said earlier, we won't get to see, I'm assuming we won't get to see the, the reaction to OTAs and minicamp. Like if, if Kamara, you know, if a week before uh, OTAs were to start, it came out that he wasn't going to participate, then you might say, okay, yeah, a holdout's coming. We may not know that because, you know, at this rate in, you know, a month, I don't know if OTAs are happening. So um, that's, that's a, a judgment we won't get to make maybe for a while, maybe till, you know, training camp if it comes to that. Let me get your take on this because I've been asked this a few times on a couple of radio shows I've done. And what would you take – if someone calls you and said, "Hey, is Camara available?" It would. Have I don't to know be... that I would say he's not tradable, but I, I would need I would need a knock my socks off kind of offer for all the reasons I just mentioned, as opposed to. And you make a good point, by the way. If there is a transition from one quarterback to the next, sure is nice to have a nice uh, a checkdown back where you can throw five yards. You can turn it into a twenty yard gain um, for any any quarterback, whoever that quarterback is next, Taysom, a rookie, whatever the case may be. Not but if someone mention, called you, who would you go with? Uh, I feel like uh, if it were an early, an early second round pick or a late first, I feel like I would I would want that for Kamara. Um, I think the the team that trades for him though has to realize that they're going to have to pay him too. I mean that would right. be the whole the whole part of it. So I'm trying to think of teams that would be interested in that. Um, it, it's a, I think it's a situation where if you're the Saints and Drew Brees is done in the next year or two, um, then your next quarterback isn't getting paid 20 plus million like Drew Brees. And so then you have a little extra money to maybe pay Kamara out long term. Um, on the other side of that, I think whoever traded for him would not be paying their quarterback a ton of money and could afford to pay um, their running back uh, 10 plus million. So I would have to say that first round early second at worst just because of what Kamara can do and he's even saying second round still feels like undervaluing it a little bit yeah I thought I saw someone float out there a second round pick and I don't know that that's enough to because chances are that second round pick whoever that would turn out to be would have an impact his rookie year but not necessarily the same impact as Alvin Kamara when you're in win if you were in building mode that's fine but if you're in win now mode right. that's why I, I still think Unless it's a 
I mean, a very good first round pick, mid first round. I probably would stay away from trading Alvin Kamara because I still think with the, the mentality of what this organization is in at the moment, I, I still think you need him more than any, any draft pick would provide at that position or any position, uh, regardless of what sort of compensation. Unless it was a very, very, very high or mid to high first round pick, I probably would stay away from that. Yeah, and that it's the win now scenario that does that because otherwise you would deal a running back like that just because we mentioned no offense to any running backs. They are, you know, a bit more replaceable than um, quarterbacks. But, yeah, in win-now mode, I think it's it's a little too much to risk. Um, I, you know, maybe there is a, a way that – and there's no way to predict it, but look at the Rams model. They were in win-now mode, and that's why they were spending big money on – you know, they trade for Dante Fowler. They spend money on Eric Weddle and Clay Matthews. They spend money on Brandon Cooks and – they pay out Jared Goff and they spend money on Gurley. All of a sudden that's definitely falling apart because they've had to deal a lot of their big contracts in order to eventually pay guys like Jalen Ramsey to keep a guy like uh, Jared Goff. But, um, but they almost you know, got to, a, I mean, they almost won a Super Bowl. I mean, they got, they, did. they got there controversially, obviously, but they got to a Super Bowl. So it's hard to, to judge if that was the right move or not. But this is sort of the, when you don't win it, now you're left with all the kind of yeah. leftovers here and now you got to make moves. If you win it, like you said, there's, there's, right. it is what it is. You want it, you can tank the next couple of years. Whatever happens, happens. You want a Super Bowl. Um, and that's kind of what we've been uh, talking about the last couple of off-seasons with the Saints. Luckily, they haven't had to, to face a fallout like the Rams did personnel-wise, but it's always been, um, well, you know, they, they restructure a contract here. They bring Brees back for $25 million and make this happen and, and get Cam Jordan back. Okay, they're pushing it. They're kicking the can down the road, but they can win. But they didn't do it in 18. They didn't do it in 19. It feels like we're really, really, really getting up against that wall now because we thought the wall was coming maybe this offseason, and they, yeah. they, re, they, they restructure a couple guys. Um, they get Breeze back. They get Hill, and um, we'll see what they do with Kamara. But it's like the wall has to be here at some point. I think if you ask them honestly, I think this this window has lasted and stretched with Drew even longer than they thought. I mean, we're talking about a 41-year-old here. And, you know, so this thing has stretched and stretched and stretched. So they clearly they feel like they can win with them. They'll keep borrowing from the future yeah. uh, to make sure they can win today. Yeah, we're getting closer and closer, but at some point it's got it's to yield at least a Super Bowl appearance, not just – an NFC championship game, at least a Super Bowl appearance. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Um, that's why I think the depth is big with this team to weather the injuries like they did a year ago and to to get to that postseason, just obviously disappointing the way that the last postseason went because they it, it really felt like they had a good shot. Everything they overcame in that year uh, to get to that point. So um, that's what this is all about. It's about keeping that window open. It's about um, – how much you value Alvin Kamara to keep that window open versus, um, you know, when, when Drew Brees leaves and the next window is there, whatever that looks like, um, having Kamara in place or, or what picks or what money in your salary cap you have in place too. Yeah, and, you know, that's why it, it, as we've had this conversation, I was on the fence, but I, I think – I think if they can find the right number, I think the time to do it is now. I really do. I really think the time to do it is now. Um, if they can find the right number. I obviously don't want to overpay for anybody. Um, 
as, as, I, as we've kind of stacked, laid it all out, I became more convinced through this podcast <laughs> than, than I was before that perhaps now is the time to do it if they find the right number. But that's, that's key for everything. And look, they've been pretty good with that in terms of value. I mean, they, they overpay for Andrews Pete. But other than that, I feel like they've done pretty good in terms of assessing value to certain players. So hopefully that gets done. The question is, you know, when does it happen? We don't know. And I think the benefit now is that you have paid Andrews Pete. You've restructured Janoris Jenkins. You've gotten your two quarterbacks back. Um, you re-signed David on Yamada. You've done all the moves, most of the big moves that I think you're going to do, um, if not all the big moves that you're going to do. And so now you have a really clear picture of what signing Alvin Kamara to whatever contract looks like versus trying to sign him um, earlier in the offseason, still knowing that you wanted to have your guard back or get a new guard or that you wanted another defensive tackle or you know, whatever you were going to do in free agency. I think now you have a, a clearer picture of how to bring Kamara back for and how you need to structure that contract in terms of what you just did throughout the month of March um, to get the free agents you want back to. Yeah, and now they're at $4.27 million in cap space. So basically that's enough to sign your draft class. Um, the only other signing I can see from another team or a veteran out there is probably a quarterback. I, I would now who knows, but I, I would think maybe perhaps they let the draft happen and then see what's available after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think there's a chance they draft and sign. Um, but if it's you know someone, I don't know if you've gotten any of this, but I've gotten a few people come at me with like Devin Clowney. Um, maybe he's available. Would be worth it. One year deal. Who knows? I mean, but for that to work for his contract demands and for even if it was just a one year deal, you'd probably have to re re-up or re, uh, reshuffle some things, which they're, they're not afraid to do. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. But I do know this. All the contracts are in. They've maneuvered all the math, and they've got just enough for a draft class right now. And um, here we are, a week and a half away from that draft. And it feels like it's going to be pretty important, but it's, you know, it's five picks. Um, but we know with this team, um, it can end up with more or less, depending on what they sacrifice to go up. Because – History has shown at some point they're going up some, somewhere in this draft. Are they going to do a present year draft choice or a future draft choice, which they've done a lot of? So all questions hopefully soon to be answered. Yeah, and I think the thing we got to keep in mind is, like, we're naturally everybody's always in what's next mode and how can we get better mode. But let's not, you know, act like this is the Browns who are in need of right. a lot of positions. Like, this is a Saints team that brought back the majority of their roster a team that won 13 games a year ago that dealt with a ton of injuries. Um, so they're, they're in a good space. And I forget who always says it, either it's Peyton or Loomis or someone that's, you know, talks about free agency being where you get the guys you want and what you need and your draft being where you kind of supplement. And if there's a guy there that it, it can start right away, or obviously last year they went in with McCoy knowing that they'd have, he'd have to be the starter, but typically it, it's kind of a supplemental thing where um, this adds to our roster. It's not always, a guy who has to come in and start right away. And really, unless it were a receiver or a really strong corner um, or a, an inside linebacker, I guess, yeah. uh, I don't know that there would be a guy. Right. There aren't that many openings. Right. There aren't that many openings on the roster. So, I mean, realistically, instant impact guys, I think you could probably look at it similar to last year. You had McCoy come in. He ended up being the starter. CJ Garner-Johnson eventually worked his way into getting a lot of, uh, a lot of reps. Um, I'm missing. Kate Nellis obviously got hurt. Uh, Alizé Mack didn't end up with the team, and then Saquon Hampton got some special teams work. But 
I mean, it's pretty similar in terms of uh, the amount yeah. of draft picks and uh, what ends up happening in terms of instant production from the rookie class. Switching the conversation over to college football, uh, it's really interesting right now as, as we've, you know, just about pushed to the point where most spring football uh, would be wrapping up either last week or this week or in the coming weeks. Um, and there wasn't spring football. LSU only had a handful of practices. Tulane only had five practices. Um, a lot of guys, incoming early enrollees, don't get that, you know, spring semester of work. New quarterbacks like Miles Brennan, whoever Tulane was going to go with, um, didn't get that that semester of work. Um, and we're looking at probably, I believe it's some schools that said uh, they weren't even going to have anyone on campus. It might have been Clemson that said they probably wouldn't have anyone on campus even through the summer and into the fall would be, you know, when they could get guys in for fall camp late July, August, if it turns out that way. So we're looking at a college football landscape that's already being affected by the threat of COVID-19. And um, I know Sports Illustrated did a piece on it. But it's, it's interesting in terms of how teams are going to deal with this um, and how it's going to look in the fall because this is a time when, like I mentioned, guys are getting acclimated with each other. There's a lot of strength and conditioning work that goes into it. Um, and it's, it's just not happening. Yeah. I mean, it, it really all depends on how quickly these guys can get together. It's really, really all it depends on. I mean – not having a spring, it's tough for a college football team. But if you can get these guys back to where your fall camp is not necessarily uh, impacted, then I think you can withstand the blow. You probably won't be exactly where you want to be at that point, just in terms of physical conditioning standpoint and or where you're at from your playbook. Um, but perhaps as the season goes on, you can you know make up some ground you know inch by inch. Um, but it really all depends. And it's, this feels like, and we're dipping more into – you know, you know, America has a whole issues here, not just sports, but this feels like statewide. It could really vary here. Certain mm -hmm. parts of the country aren't as impacted as other parts. Some parts of the country are a little more eager to get back to normalcy as, as opposed to others. Where does Louisiana stand on that? Um, who knows? I mean, it was a hot spot for a while, but if you look at certain data, some, some of the stuff is encouraging. Some of the stuff is you got to hold out on. So, I think it really all depends on how quickly can these guys get back on campus. Because, look, they're probably all doing individual stuff right now, getting some work in, getting lifting in. But you know this, Chris. You know this. If there's something about the camaraderie around being, camaraderie around, and being around everyone that mm -hmm. generally makes you better. Um, so I think until that question is answered, we're, we kind of are flying blind a little bit to this college football season. Yeah, I, I talked with Willie Fritz for a while last week, Tulane's head coach, about it. And – you know, he said he's got he's got five strength and conditioning coaches um, on his staff that deal with just football. Um, they talk to about 20 guys a day, um, get their feedback from the workouts, give them workouts. He said they have a workout for if guys have access to a weight room. They have a workout for if guys don't have access to a weight room, a lot of push-ups, pull-ups, squat thrusts, you know, some of the, the old-school techniques. Um they give them little tests on the playbook. They're still doing install with offense, defense, special teams, but um, those reps aren't there. You're not seeing how it looks on the field. You're not um, seeing how it looks with certain guys in certain positions, and I think that's the tough thing. Um, both of us spoke with LSU receivers last week. You spoke with Jamar Chase. I talked to Racy Math a little bit. Um, Racy said, you know, he's, he's getting in some reps with his old high school quarterback from Carr, um, and so he's doing some stuff. He's staying in shape. Um, but there's, there's only so much you're going to do without the contact, without the pads, 
Um, and that's going to be interesting whether it's um, guys not in as good of condition as they would be in, some smaller playbooks, um, simple timing. I mean, we saw the difference last year with Joe Burrow and um, the timing he was able to get with his receivers having a full offseason of work versus him just coming in in June of 2018 and, you know, really just getting that timing down with Justin Jefferson his first year. Well, well that's what Jamar told me. He said straight up, it took me almost a full season to get on the same page with Joe. And you started to feel it towards the end of the 2018 season and they went to the offseason and then they went to the summer and then they went into, you know, spring, summer, and into fall where, I mean, you can remember hearing the reports of, wow, it's starting to really click. It's looking different. It's feeling different. Um, now you add Miles Brennan to the mix. Now, Jamar did say the good thing about what Miles Brennan is, he's been around a while. This is not a transfer. Yeah. He's been around a while. So while it's not perfect in terms of chemistry with all the receivers, he does have, you know, time on task with these receivers just in years past. I mean, he was battling for a starting job when Joe Burrow got here. He battled for the starting job. Um, his true freshman year before Joe Burrow got here that spring if you recall he was yep. the front runner so it's not like he's just starting at, at ground zero unlike some other uh, schools that are you know that'll bring in in the SEC they're going to bring in some transfers so from a chemistry standpoint I think you would expect uh, a little bit of rustiness but I don't think it's terrible on LSU's end because I do think Miles being in the program a little bit longer than perhaps some normally wait around in terms of getting their first starting opportunity. I think it will help him and help him with terms and the receivers and tight ends as well. Yeah, I think they're mentally more comfortable too. Um, you know, for so many years with LSU, it was the debate was always around the quarterback and the offense and the passing game and what would happen. And, you know, as we got deeper into 2019, and obviously through the end of it with the incredible season they had, there's just this weight off your shoulders where you're not freaking out about the offense and you feel like there is – an offensive identity. Um, there is um, everybody pulling in the right direction for so long with Miles. It just felt like there was things moving in different directions and guys not seeing eye to eye. And then even um, Ed Ogeron's first full season with Matt Canada, and obviously, you know, things weren't going like they wanted to, but the last two seasons, um, the buildup through 2018, and then obviously the culmination of a lot of talent and some great coaches in 2019. It feels like everybody's moving in the right direction. So I think it's a it's a program and it's a it's a team mentality that's on much more stable ground than it was a year ago. And I think that helps a ton um, when it comes to you know trying to pick up where you left off whenever this thing ends. Well, let me throw this out there. You know, because I think you know it's easy, air quotes, to hey, let's go throw some routes. It's not so easy to develop linemanship. It's not so easy to develop contact positions type of shape. Perhaps that's where the worry should come for LSU. If you're a fan, if you're the coaching staff, you're replacing, what, three-fifths of your starting offensive line. Um, and it's not like the, the reserves last year got a ton of experience. I mean, LSU kept – that same personnel package in pretty much all game. It wasn't like they were rotating. Um, perhaps that's the more apparent worry or more real concern, if you will, with this LSU team is the offensive line, the defensive line is shifting. And, you know, I looked at LSU's uh, roster. They're quote-unquote defensive ends. A lot of these guys were listed as defensive ends last year, 6'5", 300, are now going to kick inside to defensive tackle. You got to figure out where these things, where they're going to mesh, where they're going to play, and sometimes you can't 
figure that out until you see them in live contact. And perhaps that, the line of scrimmage, is where that could be the biggest worry. But I'll say this, that's a worry for everybody. They're all yeah. not, none of those, no one uh, can do that right now. Um, but I, I think a lot of focus is going to be on Miles and going Miles Brennan and the receivers. But I, I got to tell you, I think the bigger concern is what ends up being this offensive line and can they play as good as they played last year? Because I think that's an unknown. And I think it's a legitimate unknown that we're not going to really, I guess, know until um, probably until the season starts. Yeah, I would agree. I would say that along the offensive line, and I would say you hit on it there a little bit too, the defense and transitioning from a 3-4 to a 4-3. Guys like Marcel Brooks, who goes from you know that edge-rushing safety hybrid to allegedly going to play linebacker, uh, we'll see you know what that looks like and, and how he lines up and what packages they use him in, but that takes an adjustment. Um, like you mentioned, it takes an adjustment from – some of those bigger guys being, you know, three, four ends to coming inside and playing tackle. And um, it's going to take time. It's going to take time for, you know, some of the um, the guys in the back end, the safeties that have to replace, you know, Grant Delpit, um, Elias Ricks at corner, just guys to get adjusted. So I think the teams that have a little bit more experience coming back certainly have a little bit of an advantage. Um, and LSU does have that experience in some places, and you, and you said it. It's not like Miles Brennan's this freshman or transfer. So um, there is a knowledge and, a, and a, I guess, a comfortable factor with the offense and the teammates. But um, things are certainly going to take getting used to. Hopefully, you know, we get to see what that looks like in the fall because that would mean there would be fall football. Right. So regardless of what the summer schedule and the fall football camp schedule would look like. Because um, there's a lot of debates out there. You, you know, you talk about the – the debate of having games with no fans in the right. stands. And I saw that Ohio State's athletic director brings up, okay, well, if it's not safe for fans, is it safe for right. 100 plus football players plus their personnel plus training staff um, and athletic department personnel to gather if you can't have fans? I don't know. That's something that has to be figured out. And I think because, like you said, there's so many different states at so many different levels. Um, I was talking with a friend who's a sports reporter out in Arizona, and um, I, I don't think it's been as bad there. Um, I have another friend who's in Arkansas, and their cases and deaths are, are a lot lower than Louisiana. And so it, it feels like, you know, maybe one of them could get back on the field sooner or gather for team meetings sooner than a Louisiana school or a school in the Northeast or the West Coast where, you know, there, there are more cases. Um, but I think the NCAA has a responsibility to have a blanket over it all right. and say – everything has to be done on the level ground for competition's sake. And that's going to be really tough to do. Yeah. That's why I look at spring practices are done. We know that um, it's just a matter of how soon can they go back and how, and let's just say, you know, 80% of the country can get back in time in July or August, but 20% can't. Well, then what do you right. roll with the 80? I mean, there's a lot of different factors here. Let me just, I guess uh, as we wrap it up here, I'll, I'm going to just leave it because I'm choosing to be optimistic about it. Yeah. I'm choosing to say the college football and NFL regular season is going to start on time. Whether or not there's some adjustments to the way we view the game, so be it. But I'm choosing to be glass half full and say I believe football will start on time. Yeah, I would say so too. And I certainly think um, the NFL with you know their, their – 
you know, approach to keeping everything on schedule, the start of the league year, the draft, they are willing to adjust and bend, duck and dodge and do whatever they can to keep things on schedule. And it appears the NCAA is trying to do the same, at least with football. Um, I know they have um, they've come out with a new committee that is going to, you know, help provide some guidelines and whatnot to football. So um, it feels like they are pushing to, to keep everything as on schedule as they can and, you know, take the punches as they come. Uh, that's going to do it for us for now on overtime. But before you guys go, a quick request and reminder, please subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, tell your friends, help us spread the word. If you want to get in touch with us, Tiger Huddle app, Final Play app, hit us up. Hope everybody's staying safe, staying socially distanced. Get those home workouts in. You know, Sean Fazan and myself are doing that. John Bennett as well. So for now, that'll do it for us. We'll talk to you guys next time on Overtime. From Fox 8 Sports, this has been Fox 8 Overtime.